Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted T and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And no cousin Shane on this episode, but you already know why. Because this is Stephen Lassen Tuesday, senior editor over at Athlon Sports, going to be joining us here to recap the week that was in the SEC preview, the big week ahead, as well as uh, the other biggest news items and, and topics around the SEC. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But, uh, hey, I don't know if you all have seen the news. Many of you upset, mad as hell, that we're counting Texas and Oklahoma as SEC and putting them in the polls and power rankings and opening lines and all that. We got a hell of a game here, Texas-Oklahoma, the last edition as Big 12 members this Saturday and who else is going to be there? None other than Greg Sankey. So, hey, they call him the most powerful man in college athletics, clearly one of the sharpest minds in all of college sports. He's embracing Texas and Oklahoma. I'm waiting for the rest of you to get on board. So uh, that was a little vindication, I thought, that old Sankey's going to be at uh, the big game there, the final one, uh, unless they meet as Big Ten. Big 12 championship game, I guess. But final game before they jump into the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma. I just thought that was great. And speaking of uh, the SEC, so they have announced the kickoff times. I know we're in week six right now, but the week seven kickoff times for October 14th were announced here on Monday. So I want to get to those real quick. Georgia at Vanderbilt, noon Eastern, CBS doubleheader here. Georgia at Vanderbilt. God, they are... They're going to get every Georgia game they can this weekend. I guess that comes with being two-time national champion. Arkansas at Alabama, also noon Eastern, 11 Central, on ESPN, nationally televised right after game day. Texas A&M at Tennessee, CBS Game of the Week, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. That's going to be one hell of a showdown, particularly if A&M does their part and beats Alabama at home. It's going to set up a a colossal game there, A&M at Tennessee. Again, CBS game on October 14th. Florida at South Carolina, 3.30 on SEC Network. This has already been announced as a sellout. Um, Williams-Brice Stadium there. South Carolina fans rowdy and ready for the Gators. Mizzou at Kentucky, big-time showdown. Many wouldn't have suspected that at the beginning of the season. That's been announced 7 Eastern, 6 Central. The Where it's going to broadcast, That's up. that'll be determined at a later date, but it's going to ESPN or SEC Network. So Kentucky, you're getting another night game. Mizzou, you're getting a shaft. No night games for you except as a visitor. So uh, it is what it is. And then Auburn at LSU also, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, same deal. Going to be on ESPN or SEC Network. That'll be determined at a later date. Really what they're waiting for is to see who wins Missouri LSU this weekend. The winner likely will get the ESPN treatment. The loser will be relegated to SEC Network on October 14th. So that's your latest broadcast and kickoff information from the SEC. But are you ready? 
for another Stephen Lassen Tuesday. Long one here with Stephen. A lot to talk about. Let's get to it. Okay. Well, we're pleased to once again be joined by Stephen Lassen. Of course, you know him by now. Senior editor, Athlon Sports, back for another Stephen Lassen Tuesday. How you doing, my friend? Mike, I am doing great. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks, as always, for, for having me on. Can't wait for this weekend's slate of games in the SEC. It is going to be awesome. And, of course, we have a sort of SEC-adjacent game, Oklahoma and Texas, to look forward to, too. So uh, looking forward to breaking it all down with you. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with a name, Stephen, because we used separation Saturday for last week, and this feels very similar, but I, I just I got to come up with another word for separation, I guess. But uh, we'll get Shake to that. Shakedown Saturday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's wild because the top two in the East versus the top two in the West, Oklahoma, Texas, like you said, and then number three in the West, number three in the East. So, you know, this really is at least in, you know, with, in early October, the best of the best going head-to-head in the conference that was once known as the, the best in the, in the nation. I don't know if it is this year, but uh, yeah, so it's going to be a one hell of a weekend. But before we get to that, kind of like to quick recap things from last weekend and almost have to start with this one, Stephen. Kentucky just steamrolled Florida, and that was a game that uh, you and I, you know, just a little behind the scenes for the fans, we, we had been discussing all week because I know we were both kind of torn on on who could win it and I don't think either one of us is surprised that Kentucky won that game but I don't know about you Stephen but I was stunned in which the fashion they did jumping out to a 24 to 0 lead and just just completely dominating Billy Napier's Florida Gators uh who would you learn more about in that game I learned more about Kentucky in that game because of the schedule up to that point for Kentucky. Um, we we wanted to know like where exactly was this Kentucky team? They had kind of been all over the map through the first couple weeks of the season. But I think the the performance on Saturday put together some of the things you wanted to see. I think if you're a Kentucky fan, you you'd like to see Devin Leary be a little bit more accurate, maybe complete more than uh just a couple passes. But it was, I think to, to put it mildly, it was total dominance against an SEC opponent that we wondered, well, who's second place in the East? Well, Kentucky made its statement on Saturday. Uh, the line of scrimmage, the rushing attack with Ray Davis and how dominant it was with the way that Florida played against Tennessee a few weeks ago at the line of scrimmage, that was a statement and a dominant win uh, for Kentucky. So I learned more about Kentucky in just a total dominant victory on Saturday. Now, this may not be a fair question because the schedule gets so ramped up for the Gators, Stephen, but... Let's just fast forward to early December, if we can, in our minds. Which of the two big games Florida has played, Tennessee and Kentucky, if one is a outlier, which one do you think it'll be come December? As far as Florida performance? Yeah, just, or, just talking Florida. Probably the Tennessee game. Damn it. <laughs> I think... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I agree. I agree, but yeah. that's that's just sad, you know. Yeah, sorry, Mike. I I, uh, <laughs> I hate to hate to start off on a depressing note today. I think it, you know, when you start looking at Florida this season, I think you know three and two is a not a terrible spot to be if you're thinking about preseason expectations. I think 
you know, this program was picked somewhere, you know, six and six, seven and five, five and seven, depending on where you looked. Um, but, you know, the road woes for Florida. I mean, they've been a completely different team. I mean, we've seen this now last season and this year. You go back to the game against Utah, the same sort of mistakes that you saw in that game kind of showed up here. I mean, trying to, you know, stop Ray Davis with what, 13 uh, <laughs> defenders. I mean, I, what, what's with this trend in coaching? Like Notre Dame's trying to play with 10, Jimbo's trying to play with 12 at Texas AM. I don't know. Um, but now to, to answer your question, I think, you know, you look at Florida's schedule setting up and you see they still have to go to South Carolina, LSU. Missouri, can they turn around some of these uh, road woes that they have? Because they're probably going to need to if they want to find a path to six victories and get to a bowl game this year. Yeah, Napier one and seven outside the swamp. That's that's got to change if they're going to have a any kind of decent year this year in Gainesville. How about Ole Miss? Stephen backs against the wall, must win, beats LSU fifty five to forty nine, and uh, you know I don't think this. I've seen it. People say, well, LSU's eliminated from everything now. I don't I don't buy that quite yet, but just a I don't know if we can call him Lane Whiffin anymore after that one. But such a big game. Who who did you learn more about here? Ole Miss or LSU? Ole Miss. I th- you know, we we talked about this last week after the loss to Alabama and wondered sort of the same question that we had with Kentucky and Florida. Who is the favorite in the SEC West this year? And how do they all kind of stack up? And after that game against Alabama, it was almost, I mean, I said it, you know, hey, Ole Miss wasn't ready for primetime. They went into Tuscaloosa with a vulnerable Alabama team and didn't get the job done, especially after the week of confidence that Lane Kiffin was kind of projecting. A week later, I think it says a lot about Ole Miss to get off the mat after an emotional game against Alabama to come home and beat LSU, who I think, a lot of people had started to kind of move towards in sort of the SEC West favorite. And also some of the individual performances in that game. Jackson Dart was great. Over 300 yards rushing. That's the old Miss that we thought we would see on the ground from the start of this season. Obviously, defense was optional. Uh, but but Ole Miss did exactly what they needed to do to, needed to do to get those stops at the end of the game. So terrific, uh, fun to watch between two quarterbacks going at it. But I learned more about Ole Miss in a victory. How about uh, A&M owning Arkansas like they always do, 34-22? I would assume, kind of easy assumption here, you're probably learning more about A&M and that, that dominant defense. 100%. It's Texas A&M. I love the way that this defensive line has played the last couple weeks against Auburn and against Arkansas. The five- and four-star talent that they had have started to grow up and have started to become difference makers over the last two weeks. Also, just was was curious about how AM would play in this game because of the Alabama look-ahead factor for this week. And they just simply took care of business. You know, I, I, the offense kind of not necessarily bogged down, but just didn't get on track in the second half. But still, for Max Johnson to play as well as he did, uh, kind of in his first start this season for the defense to play as well as it did. All those are good signs for Texas A&M. That Miami loss is getting kind of further and further in the rearview mirror. And I think if you're A&M, you've put together two really solid performances with the heart of SEC play coming up, and that's a good sign for uh, for Jimbo's team. How about Tennessee manhandling South Carolina 41-20? to 20. Not a surprise to me, but uh, I saw a fair amount of people picking South Carolina, and I get it because Tennessee 
had one te- one real test and they failed miserably. Uh, who'd you learn more about uh, in Neyland Stadium on Saturday night? Tennessee. I-, I thought it was a good bounce back for Tennessee after what happened uh, to Florida just a few weeks ago. Um, Pro Football Focus charted Tennessee as having 25 quarterback hurries in that game. Uh, I thought line of scrimmage really came through for Tennessee on Saturday night, whether it was the rushing attack, whether it was the defensive line getting after Spencer Rattler. You look at how um, South Carolina scoring drives. I mean, you know, one was a short field off an interception. They had a 75-yard touchdown. So uh, Tennessee, credit to Tennessee's defense for taking care of business against one of the SEC's best quarterbacks. The rushing game for Tennessee got on track too. So I thought this game would be a little bit closer. Uh, but I learned more about Tennessee and what was a really solid all-around win for Josh Heupel's team. Does the fact that Tennessee is doing it, I mean, I realize only one SEC win so far, so you know I'm not crowning them or anything, but they're just doing it completely different fashion than last year with uh, clearly a quarterback that's not as good as, as Hendon Hooker, but I, th- I think Joe Milton is, is clearly banged up with that knee and everything but they're doing it with defense they're doing it with the ground game that may be the best in the SEC does that tell you anything about uh, Tennessee's future under Josh Heupel because I think naturally he gets compared to guys like Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day and maybe there's others out there you know where they just they play Lane Kiffin where they play offense but they they don't play defense and they're not tough um, I don't think you can say that about Tennessee, particularly if they continue to get better. And, and hell, if, they, if they're able to combine this with a passing attack, could be one hell of a dangerous team. Absolutely. I think that's the takeaway. You, you, Tennessee is winning with uh, a quarterback situation that's not as good as it was last year. Joe Milton, I don't, I don't think, has been the problem for Tennessee but he's not as good as Hendon Hooker was. I, that's that. There, I don't think there's any debate about that. And of course, I think there's still, you know, offensive line getting Mays back at center made a big difference. I think the receivers can continue to get better. But you think about the progression of Tennessee's defense over the last, you know, two or three years under Josh Heupel and, and Tim Banks. This group has gotten better. They're getting more talent on this side of the ball. The defensive front has been active at creating havoc this season. You'd like to see those things. So I think the fact that Tennessee is doing winning with things that aren't quarterback driven speaks well to the future that if it's if the things fall into place for Milton this year or it's Nico in the future, I think you have to feel really good um, if you're Tennessee. And and just to go back when when Josh Heupel was hired, you, one of the questions was, could he put together a good defense? And I think we're seeing that the recruiting is there and some of the results have been there uh, the last couple of years. So I would be pretty optimistic if I'm a Tennessee fan at this point. Yeah, and looking at South Carolina, and not just South Carolina, Stephen, but uh, someone pointed this out to me, and I I just thought it was kind of fascinating. But we got LSU with Jaden Daniels, maybe the best quarterback in the SEC, Arkansas with K.J., Many have made the argument, he, mainly me, that he's the best quarterback in the SEC. Spencer Rattler, I don't think it's debatable. He's been the best quarterback in the SEC this season. Now, Saturday was not his finest performance. But how unusual is it, Stephen? I mean, this is such a, an offensive-driven game, a quarterback game, where if you got a quarterback, you got a shot. How weird is it? And I guess some of this is the schedule, but some of it, the fact that arguably the three best quarterbacks in the SEC 
hell, only one of them has a winning record right now, and that's he's got multiple losses, and one of the wins is, is against Grambling. Can you ever recall such a thing where top top end quarterbacks, and these are not horrible teams by any measure, but are uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's a question in there in all my ramblings, but what's your thoughts on all that? It's unusual. I think normally you would sort of see some sort of um, sort of cohesion around best teams and best quarterbacks. Maybe the bigger picture thing here is it's sort of a continuation of the offseason where there was a lot of debate about who the best quarterback in the SEC was. I voted KJ Jefferson uh, this offseason. I still think he's one of the better ones in the conference. You mentioned Spencer Rattler. I don't think Saturday's loss is on him at all. I know he threw a bad pick six, but when your offensive line is playing that poor, you're sort of you don't you don't really have a consistent rushing attack. It's hard to fault the quarterback uh, for some of those things. I think maybe the other part of this discussion is I think the the kind of pool of solid quarterbacks in the league has gotten deeper since week one. You look at the um, ESPN QBR, Jalen Milrose, fourth in the SEC, Carson Beck, um, you know, fifth or sixth. And then, you know, you look at Brady Cook, too. So I, I think you kind of think about where this league was in the preseason. There was questions about can Connor Wigman take that next step? What happens at Alabama? Jackson Dart's taking a step forward. So I look at this as there's just a lot of really quality signal callers in the league this year. I love the jump that Brady Cook and Jackson Dart have made. I think Carson Beck showed some things on Saturday too. So this is a this is a really I think maybe there's not a top end um signal caller like in the Pac-12 where you have Caleb Williams and you have a Drake May in the ACC. But this is a, from what 1 to, you know, 14 or so. Th- there's some really quality depth here in the league as far as quarterback talent goes. Yeah. Well, speaking of Jalen Milrow, he led Alabama to uh, a huge win on Saturday night, beating Mississippi State 40-17. to Who'd you learn more about in this one? Alabama. I think over the last six quarters or so, I think we kind of find we're, – we're starting to figure out who Alabama is. And they are, they are a flawed sort of version of some of the Alabama teams that we've seen over the last couple of years are definitely not as good as we've seen, but that's okay. They're starting to find, I think who they are. They still have a long way to go this season. Um, I think you've seen Milrow get very, a little bit more comfortable. Maybe Tommy Reese is using him a little bit better. Uh, the efficiency was there, the big plays on the ground. I think if you're Alabama, you got the defense to lean on. Now can the pieces start to fall into place offensively still need to see that offensive line and run game, take another step forward, and that's a big question for this week's game uh, against Tennessee. But I think Alabama started to find a little bit of its identity over the last six quarters. So then uh, last but not least, the Missouri Tigers, Stephen. Now, you and I, among many, Dalton Brady Cook. What's the ceiling with this Brady guy? Get his ass out of here. Well, Drake said, shut up. This is our man, and, and we're seeing why. He's red hot right now, 38-21. And, and it was not even as close as that final score indicated. Uh, who'd you learn more on in this matchup? I learned more about Missouri, and I'll, I'll go with timing for the reason why. Think about the way the last couple games have gone for Missouri. Last second win over Kansas State. There was the trip to St. Louis to play Memphis. Then you now you have to go on the road and play Vanderbilt before you get the showdown to LSU. So I think simply just taking care of business 
and winning comfortably. Um, you know, Vanderbilt scored a little bit late. I never really thought Missouri was in any danger. You mentioned but Brady Cook. I mean, he's you know what second in the SEC in quarterback rating. He's high in yards per attempt, high in quarterback, you know, QBR by ESPN. What does Brady Cook got to do to get some respect here? We're, we're gonna, we've gone from doubting him to like, where's the national respect uh, uh, for Brady Cook? But all in all, really solid win for for Missouri, considering the timing the last couple weeks of these games. Now, I'm already seeing it, Stephen, and I'm as guilty as anybody. But uh, overreactions, we're losing games, fire everybody. Sam Pittman got to go, Zach Arnett in over his head. Oh, Billy Ball, he'll never get it done at Florida on hell. I'm even seeing Brian Kelly. I knew he I knew he'd never amount to anything down there, even though he beat Alabama, which we barely ever do, and he won the West year one. We gotta run his ass off now. Uh maybe not Brian Kelly, because I think they're gonna be fine. But uh thoughts on on some of those coaches, some of those jobs, and, and maybe I'll word it like this, because this is kind of the this is where I wanted to go with it, Steven. I, I want to get your thoughts. I don't know where you had Arkansas in the preseason, but I took some heat for putting Arkansas fifth in the West. And nothing I've seen clearly says they're they're going to be much better than that. But I still think they're better than Mississippi State. I think they're better than Auburn, even though Auburn had a hell of a game. But hell, Arkansas had a hell of a game against LSU. It, it don't matter. You, you lose. So, I mean, they're basically on par with what I thought they'd be this year. Um, I mean, is that is that fair? I mean, I I realize Arkansas fans fired up. They they expect and, and demand a winner here, but that's not always going to be the case. So, I mean, I I don't think I'm running Sam Pittman off because we lost to A and M, maybe the best team in the West, and LSU's. I, I realize they lost, but th- that's an that's an elite roster there. I, I don't think there's any shame basically in losing to those games. Do you? No, I don't think so at all. I think you have made a point of the last couple of weeks about timing of games, home field, which quarterback is getting hot in a league where there's, I still think Georgia's the number one team, but I think two through however you want to make it, eight, nine, that gap is probably a little bit smaller this year. So, you know, to to go back to that Arkansas LSU game, KJ got hot. Arkansas had a chance to win. And, and the, this stretch of games for Arkansas is just brutal. I mean, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Once you get past that, though, they could win conceivably the rest of their games. I mean, at Florida is not going to be easy in Missouri. So I, I, I didn't – I had Arkansas fifth in the SEC West. I think at this point to the season, it's more about – Considering the other teams in the division, maybe there's a little bit of a missed opportunity here for Arkansas. And and, and I think just the game against BYU, if you outgain an opponent by that many yards, 150, whatever it was, 160, you should win that game. So maybe this is more about missed opportunities for Arkansas. The West is open. You have a, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Defense has improved. And... You kind of squandered the game against BYU, and now with the West as open as it is, you see Texas A&M and Ole Miss sort of shooting into that top-tier territory while you're kind of in that second tier at this point. That may be – does that maybe sum up the frustration a little bit? Yeah, but that's a sensible take, Stephen. These are unsensible times when we're (laughs) in middle football season. We just lost a damn game we shouldn't have. You know what I mean? So uh, I I don't know. I Again, I – 
I certainly don't think coaching changes in the middle of the year are really going to help anybody. Do you? I don't. I think the biggest problem for Arkansas is, I, well, let's go back for a second. They needed to come into this year to fix the defense. And I think their defense has been better. And I think they, they gave up a lot of yards to, to LSU, but everybody pretty much is at this point of the season. Mm-hmm. I think their defensive talent got a lot better through the portal. I think the biggest problem for Arkansas right now is the offensive line. And it's sort of stunning because Sam Pittman's either the best offensive line coach or one of the best in the country. So the fact that they can't get a consistent five out there that they feel good about to protect Jefferson and and sort of solve some of these things offensively, uh, to me, is a little surprising. I, I don't think any SEC head coach is on the hot seat right now, barring some sort of catastrophic finish to the season where they lose out you know Arkansas would lose to Florida International late in the season but I I think it's fair to say that yeah I mean as the losses mount up the pressure starts to go up and and certainly into 2024 yeah and credit to guys that uh, were on seemingly the hottest seat in the league entering the season Jimbo Fisher and Eli Drinkwitz who's undefeated and Hell, Steve, I mean, I've said it many times. I would have fired Jimbo already. How stupid does it look now had they, like, fired him after Miami game? You know, not not that that was ever going to happen, but there was people calling for it, right. nonsensical people and not A&M fans. But, I mean, they may win the West now. They, hell, they may win the national championship, for all I know, if they if they continue to get better. So, again, at the time, I get, I get the anger, I get the frustration, but – there's there's value in in letting it play out during the season, I think. Value and patience, as hard as that may be mm-hmm. off of a loss on Saturday. I think patience to to your point is is showing through at Missouri right now too. You, Missouri had to go through those five and five, six and seven seasons, a lot of frustration. Drinkowitz is recruiting well. They seem to have the right offensive coordinator now. Missouri is a little different case study because of the kind of job hierarchy in the SEC. But I, th- I think for Jimbo specifically, that that loss at Miami was not good, but they've rebounded uh, with two you know quality wins over Arkansas and Auburn. And now the door is open with Alabama and LSU's um, struggles this season to, to win the SEC West. So I, I think it's important, and I think this is, this is the case too with Billy Napier. I think we're going to have to evaluate these guys at the end of the season, there are some alarm bells that are sort of going off in my mind at certain things I see, but is it sort of a one game trend or is it a, is it just a blip over the course of the season that sort of gets kind of quieted as, as we get more data and more games? I think that's the question that we'll have to follow, especially at like Florida, Arkansas, and and certainly I think with A&M's progress too. Well, that is a perfect segment, Stephen, to ask your weekly SEC division race breakdown. And I'm just wondering who is going to get the Stephen Lassen kiss of death this week. Cause as soon as you jump on one Alabama, they lose. As soon as you jump on LSU, they lose. You're about as unreliable as cousin Shane and his locks of the week. So who you got now, as of today, October 2nd, we're recording here. Who is the team to beat out of the SEC West and, uh, I have to imagine Obis maybe has re-entered the conversation after getting a big win over LSU. 
I would show you my my notes on this. I'm I'm afraid that it might scare some people how poor my handwriting is. So I, I won't hold it up to the camera if you're watching on YouTube. Maybe you should pencil in the kiss of death for Alabama because I got them number one this wow. week uh, after uh, the last two weekends. At number two, I've got Ole Miss um, and I've got LSU three and A&M four. Now, this is where the caveat comes into play. I've got all four of these teams in a bracket of... I think they're all pretty even. I'm looking forward to seeing that A&M Alabama game this weekend. I don't think there's a ton of separation here, but by virtue of Ole Miss beating LSU, I bumped them to, to two. I've got A&M at four, but realistically, I don't think there's a ton of difference between A&M and Alabama at this point. Mm. Uh, well, I don't want to jump ahead too much because I still want to ask you about the East, but if, and I'm not saying you're predicting this, but if, a&M beats Alabama, would they vault into that number one spot or is, or would it still be a jumbled mess in your, because it, I mean, they still, they still have to go to LSU. They still have to play Ole Miss. And um, I mean, all these teams still, still got a ton of games against each other. I would put Texas A&M at the top. If they, if they beat Alabama this Saturday, I think they deserve to be uh, number one. They'd be the only undefeated team, uh, you know, in terms of conference play, left in the SEC West. So I, I would move them to one, but I think it still would still kind of consider all these teams kind of in a cluster. I mean, I, I think they're all going to be, I mean, unless LSU loses, I think they'll all be ranked in the top 25 next week. And, and I, I guess it should say the caveat, A&M has to win in that scenario too. Right. All right. So how about the East, Stephen? And I'm, I'm starting to be concerned that Kirby's got you on the payroll here. Cause I know, <laughs> I know you're going to say Georgia, but hell what the, there's only three undefeated in the in the SEC, and they're all out of the East. So uh, I'm curious to hear that, and and you know doesn't have to be undefeateds either. It could throw, I don't know who else you'd throw in at this point. Maybe Tennessee, but uh, how how are you looking in the East? I agonized over this for probably too long, to be honest with you. <laughs> I I still have Georgia at the top, two, three, and four is where I have gone back and forth for the last two days. And each time I think I changed my mind. So I just went back to what I thought before Saturday's games, just to kind of keep it consistent here. I've got Tennessee at two, Missouri three, and Kentucky four. With the caveat that two, three, and four are all basically dead even. I vote in the um, in our Athlon Sports Top 25 ranking. I've got them all back to back to back. Uh, so they're all right there in that 20 through 23 range, neck and neck with Georgia kind of separated at the top. I still think Georgia team to beat in the East, but I think the next three are separated by next to nothing. Let me throw out this complete hypothetical. And I mean, this, this is, again, this will be tough to answer, but could you imagine a world going back to, you know, home field quarterbacks getting hot and all that. Could you imagine Tennessee losing to Kentucky it's in Lexington, and losing to Missouri, it's in Columbia, and Tennessee turning around and beating Georgia in Knoxville. I mean, to me, that, again, I, I realize that hitting three in a row, that that's like a parlay. It's tough to do, but that would not be like absolutely stunning to me. How, how about you? Not stunning at all. Based upon the way that Georgia has played against South Carolina and the way they played against Auburn, Hostile road environment, Knoxville sort of 
game of the the year for Tennessee to try to knock off Georgia? Absolutely. That's one thing I considered when doing this. If if I was projecting ahead, Kentucky gets Missouri and Tennessee at home, and they do have to play Alabama, and they've got some tough road trips to Mississippi State and South Carolina. But I think if you're if you're Kentucky or if you're a Missouri fan, you have to be looking at this going second place in the SEC is wide open and maybe even more if you get some help from a Tennessee at Georgia or if Kentucky could just simply knock off Georgia this weekend too. So I I, I still feel like Georgia's the best team in the in the in the East and overall, but I've also think that the door is more open than maybe we projected back in August. Very disappointed in you, Stephen. You missed an opportunity to call Georgia Tennessee Super Bowl right there. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I lost Spencer, of course. But uh, let, let's look ahead, Stephen, to this uh, epic Saturday here in the SEC. And uh, I'm going to just start with this one because it features two undefeated teams. But you could go many different directions here. Kentucky at Georgia. Man, a lot on the line. And... I don't think it's crazy to sit here and say Kentucky can win this football game. But I think – and we, we are just waiting and waiting, Stephen, for Devin Leary to kind of show himself, to, to be the quarterback we thought he was. We both thought, you know, if he didn't, they were going to lose to Florida. Well, he still looked average at best, and they, and they whooped him. So maybe they don't even need him. But I think against Georgia, they sure as hell are going to need Devin Leary to play his best football play mistake-free football, make the throws that are there. I don't think it's a given that he does that because we've seen him five games now in a Kentucky uniform, and he's he's not done it. But uh, what's your thoughts on this epic matchup? And, and it's all the more intriguing. I, I get it. It was on the road. But Georgia struggled, turnovers, couldn't stop the run. That's what Kentucky loves to do. So, uh, I mean, the, the pieces are there for, a, for an all-time classic in Athens. Last year's game was also interesting too. I mean, it was a pretty ugly sixteen to six game um, up in Lexington, and of course, the year before that, you know, I thought Liam Cohen and uh, Will Levis did some good things against a very good Georgia defense. Obviously, they lost the game. Um, I, I think the storyline for me coming into this game is: Can Kentucky replicate the same formula? that they did last week against Florida, can they replicate that against Georgia? Because it's going to be on the road. It's going to be against a better defense. Now, granted, Georgia just gave up a lot of rushing yards to to Auburn. I think it's probably going to be a pretty miserable week of practice for Georgia and Kirby Smart trying to get this defense back on track. Uh, But I I think to to answer your, your earlier question and observation on Devin Leary, that to me is the X factor here. Nine of 20 last week. And also you look at his completion percentage, um, you know, the last two weeks, 51% against Vanderbilt, 45% against Florida. He didn't have a ton of attempts against Florida. I just don't know that Kentucky can line up and be able to expect Ray Davis to crank out 200 plus rushing yards against this defense. So they are going to need a much better game from Devin Leary in order to win on Saturday. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm trying not to totally do a disservice, Stephen, to to Auburn, but um, I was disappointed in Georgia's offensive line, too, last week. And with Mims out, maybe that's, you know, something that not enough people are talking about, the outstanding tackle. He's he's out. Uh, He had surgery recently, and that, again, I'm not saying they're, like, horrible or anything. They, They made plays when they had to do it, but they got outrushed significantly. 
I think if they get outrushed significantly against Kentucky, I think they're going to lose this game. Uh, and I'm not saying that'll happen, but it could. Um, how, how much of this do you think is Georgia being limited, having guys out of the lineup? It's hard to get that continuity with a new quarterback, new offensive play caller, and, and new pieces up front on the offensive line. And, heck, receivers out too. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of excuses. And I've, I've heard them all from Dog Nation are you uh, are you taking the bait on that one? I'll buy some of it. You know, um, obviously, I think by week six or week seven, some of those things should be cleaned up out of the process. But I do think if you're missing, you know, one of the SEC's best tackles, one of the SEC's best receivers, you've had Kendall Milton who's been hurt too. Like that all accounts for something, and you change quarterbacks and coordinators, it all adds up. But I, I think maybe the takeaway for me for Georgia is that first of all. They've got to start better in the first quarter. I mean, the, the first quarters, it, it didn't catch up to them against Auburn because Auburn is so limited offensively. I think Kentucky is better. If they slow start here, they might be in more trouble. But also, I think on the positive side for Georgia, I thought Carson Beck kind of grew into the role that Georgia needs him to. He gained the confidence of the staff uh, in the, on the road, tough environment, game on the line. He made the clutch plays. I thought Edwards as well at running back made some nice runs too. Now, granted, I think Georgia would like to get a little bit more out of that group. But if if that the confidence that Carson Beck showed at the end of the game with some of those throws that he was making to Brock Bowers, if that continues to carry over, maybe we look at the Auburn game for Georgia as the same setup as last year against Missouri. It sparked Georgia to kind of get the gears in motion to start dominating teams basically so i'm curious to see if that has any carryover effect but if carson beck continues to play well and georgia stops the run i think it's going to be hard for kentucky to go into athens and get the victory yeah i'm glad you said that steven because i I did want to ask you about carson beck and not that i've seen a ton of this but but i've seen a lot of other people commenting on it that i guess some people are upset with beck and and they're kind of (laughs) they're they were unsatisfied with that performance but I thought that's exactly what you wanted if you're Georgia not I mean you want to win the game in dominant fashion if you could but if you couldn't you had to find out now if Carson Beck can can lead you from behind on the road I don't know that he can win a shootout style game because I don't know if he's that caliber just yet but who cares because you got such a good defense you probably are not going to be in if you're going to be in a shootout it's probably going to be in a in a playoff type atmosphere, because I don't I don't know many teams on their schedule that are going to threaten him to that degree. So you, it sounds like you're kind of on the same page with me. You're you're surprised, uh, not surprised, but but satisfied with what you've seen from Carson Beck in that in that big spotlight game. One hundred percent. You know, you look at his yards per attempt the last two weeks. You know, over ten the previous week, and then nine point five against uh, Auburn on Saturday. And I think the the question for me was, could he go into a tough environment and execute? And he did. I thought the the later, after a sluggish start, the, the bad throw that he missed, I think, to Oscar Delp, and then the, uh, the early interception, he really settled in. And with a game on the line, he made the throws that he needed to. I, I think the other angle to this is, if you want to get Georgia, you better get him now. Because I think they can only get better from here. And it's, that's true with Carson Beck. If, if we're talking five, six games into the season for Carson Beck, and we kind of know that he's starting to pass the test that we wondered, and now he's getting a chance to, he just went into a road environment, 
played pretty well after a slow start, is getting better. Georgia gets healthier around him. They start to figure out, he and Mike Bobo, what they do well offensively. That's probably a, a scary thing for the rest of the SEC. So I'm I'm buying Carson Beck stock after that performance against Auburn. And I think Kentucky fans will hate that I'm even asking you this, Stephen, but <laughs> let's just say they do lose this game because it is at number one. I mean, that's a hell of a place to, to come out of a, a win. Uh, but it, if they lose, and I don't care if it's by one point or 100 points, I would still have confidence that they can finish second in the East with a loss here on Saturday. What What's your thoughts on that? I agree with you. I think, first of all, the schedule, like we talked about, sets up well for them. If you can get Missouri, Tennessee, and Alabama at your place, the path to second place in the East is there. I also think Devin Leary is going to play better at some point this year. I just think, and we have to, of course, we should assume that they'll be at full strength at receiver for Saturday, too, after some of those guys got banged up against Florida. But I think defensively, Kentucky, one of the best in the SEC We've seen Ray Davis and the way they were controlling the line of scrimmage. That can carry over into some of these games against Missouri and Tennessee, probably a little bit better uh, than Georgia. But if they if they play well and lose on Saturday, I think you feel even better if you're Kentucky. So I, I thought last week's performance told us a lot. This week's performance will still tell us a lot too. But also I think regardless, I think you should still feel, feel pretty good if you're uh, Kentucky. Also, there's really not a ton of pressure here for Kentucky, right? I mean, it's got to be all in Georgia to win at home. So they're sort of playing mm-hmm. with house money a little bit. We're taking a break from the show to let you guys know we're brought to you by my bookie. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Sign up with a sign up for an account over at my bookie with a promo code that S E C T H A T S E C. And they are willing to match your initial deposit up to 50% all the way up to a thousand bucks. So you could have up to fifteen hundred bucks in your account today with mybookie.ag. The only thing that makes college football better is betting on college football. Fade cousin Shane's picks, go with my locks of the week. That's about as uh, I'm four for five this year. So that I'm I I put that on my bookie. They're willing me to victory week in, week out here on that SEC podcast. Proud to be sponsored by my bookie. Quick and easy withdrawals when you cash out big and you win big by listening to me and fading Cousin Shane over at MyBookie. Again, that promo code, that SEC. This is the number one way for y'all to help the podcast this football season. We don't ask for much. We give you all this content for free. The least you could do, throw 50 bucks, 100 bucks on a MyBookie account. Make some money fading our picks over at MyBookie.ag today. Don't forget that promo code, that SEC. Same deal with uh, our friends over at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports, and they got the college football. That's why we love Prize Picks. Head on over to Prize Picks. If you sign up with a new account with the promo code SEC, they're willing to match your initial deposit up to a hundred bucks, a hundred percent deposit. So you could have two hundred in your account today over at PrizePicks.com. Don't forget that promo code SEC. Same promo code for our new friends. Rogue Shop, CBD, THC, Delta 9, Delta Ace. They got all the Deltas over at the Rogue Shop. Promo code, same as prize picks, SEC. Get you 25% off your entire order. All orders over 100 bucks over at RogueShop.com. Free shipping if you spend over 100 bucks. Cannot 
recommend Rogue Shop anymore. They're just like us, independent, small business. You call over there, you're going to get my buddy Richard. He owns a business. He's the one handles all the calls over at rogueshop.com. They, if you got chronic pain, sleep issues, anxiety, what have you, do yourself a favor. Head on over to the Rogue Shop, rogueshop.com. Check out all their information there. It's all there. It's a legitimate business. This is high-quality CBD THC mailed in a discreet package from a veteran of the armed forces. So we cannot recommend Rogue Shop enough. And again, that promo code SEC gets you 25% off your entire order. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now, how about uh, this big showdown out of the West, Stephen? Alabama at Texas A&M. Alabama's slight favorite going into this matchup. But um, I have made the case, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think, that a&M, to me, looks like the more balanced team of all those contenders because Ole Miss doesn't have a defense. LSU doesn't have a defense. And I'm still not sure Alabama has an offense outside of uh, Jalen Milrow, heroic. So, again, that doesn't mean that A&M's the best, but I think they are the more complete team as of right now heading into this matchup. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on Alabama at Texas A&M? Is it fair to say the pressure in this game is on Texas A&M? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think so, too. I think with the with where Alabama is at this point of the season, one loss, clearly more vulnerable than we're used to seeing. Texas A&M beat Alabama two years ago in College Station. They nearly won last year in Tuscaloosa. Now you're getting Alabama at your place where the spread is under a touchdown and could be a lot closer to three or four points uh, by kickoff. I think there's, and I think just in general, the from five and seven last year to this year, the progress that AM has made from that and also within the season from the loss to Miami, it, it sort of feels like 
it's the same thing with Ole Miss. It's Texas A&M's chance to sort of seize control of the SEC West. If if you can go in and beat Alabama at at your place and play well with a with a backup quarterback, granted, I think Max Johnson's pretty good. I think that speaks well of um, of Texas A&M's chances to win the SEC West. The two things that I think are going to determine this game, I think it's pretty simple. It's quarterback play and line of scrimmage. Both of these teams are good at getting to the quarterback in sacks, tackles for loss, creating havoc. Which quarterback can navigate that? Don't make the big mistake. Who can be more efficient? Um, can you hit a big player too? I know that's sort of oversimplification, but when I look at this game, I, I think if A&M gets ahead on the scoreboard, I think that's really bad news for Alabama. I think if Alabama keeps it a lower scoring game, I think that plays into Jalen Milrow and the defense sort of controlling this game for Alabama. What's your level of surprise that uh, Max Johnson stepped in? And again, I, I think the world of Connor Wigman, so this is not a slight at all on Connor Wigman, but level of surprise that Max Johnson has slid in there and there's been seemingly no drop off and, and the offense has been, you know, very, very crisp with a, with a backup quarterback. Not, I'm actually not surprised. You know, I think he's one of the better backup quarterbacks in college football. Um, you know, I, you know, even going back to last year, I thought if he was the starter at Texas A&M, um, he was probably, you know, upper half, you know, set, you know, somewhere in the middle of the conference in terms of um, preseason ranking of where he would be. But I think he fits the, you know, the offense well. I think Wigman is a better player, but Max Johnson can do the same things. As far as offensively, we've seen a few big plays. He's making efficient, being been efficient, making good decisions with the ball. And I think the offensive line, um, that running game for AM may be starting to come into play as well the last couple of weeks. So I think all good signs um, for Texas AM on Saturday, which is what makes this matchup so intriguing, is Alabama seems to be finding itself. And then Texas AM with a good showing with Max Johnson last Saturday uh, in Arlington. Yeah, and I, I heard this stat, Stephen. I'll probably butcher it, so I apologize. I, th- I think I heard it from Cole Kublick, but uh, A&M, I know this part, A&M's had 15 tackles for loss, two consecutive games, and seven sacks, I believe, in each of them, um, which that combination, 30 tackles for loss, 14 sacks in, in a two-game span, I, th- I don't think an SEC team has done that in the last 20 years. So, I mean, that, that just gives you an idea of and, and it's only been done like four times in the last 20 years the just the the level they're playing at but let me ask it to you like this Stephen because because A&M is getting after the quarterback to the level they are I mean obviously that's good but in a weird way is that is that what you want going up against Jalen Milrow because I I think as soon as you, you you start collapsing the pocket, he's he's gone. He's going to take off, and that makes Alabama dangerous. I mean, I I would almost rather him just sit in the pocket and try to pick you apart because I don't know that he can do that. Um, what? How would you attack if if you're a And M and and DJ Durk and trying to uh, attack Milrow? Would you be coming after him, leaving potential rush lanes open, or or do you sit back and and make him beat you with with, with his arm? It's a great question. I think the formula that you mentioned is exactly what you want if you're Texas A&M. You want to make Jalen Milrow beat you from the pocket. If he throws, if he's 17 to 20 for 286 yards and four touchdowns from the pocket and Alabama wins, that's that's 
you just tip your cap and say, hey, they, that he he executed better than us on that day. I think if you're AM, that's the formula. Like you have to turn him into a pocket passer. You can't give him the rushing lanes on the ground. You've got to make him sit there and one, two, three read and, and make a play. I also think too, I think you want to get him in third and long situations. You know, I think he has gotten more comfortable over the last couple of weeks, and we saw how efficient he was against Mississippi State. But he Alabama is going to need more from him on Saturday to win. If out if Jalen Milrow is 12 of 12 for 200 yards. Alabama, that means the rushing attack is there. That means his legs are an option. That means the offense is is working well. So I, I think if if I'm DJ Durkin, whatever you have to do to keep him in the pocket and also on early downs, you want to win. You want to have a high success rate on Alabama's rushing attack in Milro to put him in those second and seven, third and eight situations. Yeah, and going back, I was just thinking, Stephen, when you're talking about who's the pressure on, and I, I said A&M, I agree with you, but one thing, Max Johnson, it, I don't think pressure gets to him, Stephen, just based on his time. I mean, this is a guy that won in the swamp back when Florida was a top-five team and playing for the playoff. Uh, now, I realize, you know, it was COVID, so it was a little different. But, I mean, that the pressure didn't affect him there. He also outdueled Matt Corral, and that was, uh, that was one hell of a, a, you know, an offense there at Ole Miss. Um, he's, he's won big games his entire career. Clearly was not phased when he had to step in against Auburn and then last week against Arkansas. So I don't think the pressure will get to Max Johnson. But I wanted to ask you this, Stephen. Bobby Petrino matching up against Nick Saban and Kevin Steele. I wonder, do you think that's the uh, the coaching matchup of the week in the SEC? I think so. Man, it's going to be a great battle, uh, just X's and O's wise, and see what happens, how how Alabama chooses to defend. I mean, it, you know, if you look at sacks this year in the SEC, Texas A&M is second, Alabama is fourth, tackles for loss, Alabama is first, Alabama, uh, sorry, Texas A&M is first, Alabama is tied for third. So it, it really, negative plays, havoc plays, big plays are going to play a huge role uh, on Saturday. So I, I am curious if you think about how Texas played Texas, you know, Texas and Alabama earlier this year, the weapons that Texas had at receiver, A&M is going to counter with a receiving core that's just as good um, with Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, and others, you know, this Alabama secondary, I think, can be beat downfield. So I, I think if you're Petrino and that offensive staff, if you can block Alabama's front, which has been good at creating havoc, like we, we talked about, if you can do that, there probably are plays you can make downfield. And you mentioned it, Max Johnson, I, you know, his throughout his career, wh- whatever it is, he can stand in there and make the throws that you need. And also, I think whether it's quick releases, the passes downfield, he's got the whole thing. So I've, I like Max Johnson and Texas A&M's chances here. And I think that matchup of Petrino and uh, versus Steele and Saban and, and Robinson, whoever's called the plays uh, this year for, <laughs> for Alabama, is really going to be some, some must-see battles there. Yeah, I can just almost guarantee you, Stephen, after – I mean, running my damn mouth for months and months. Alabama's just going to keep squeaking by, and they're going—they're probably going to win it all, just to spite me. You know what? Man, I—I I, I don't want to make a prediction early in the week. <laughs> I might be leaning the underdog here. So, Ooh, okay, okay. I—I I don't mind hearing that at all. 
All right, how about this showdown, Stephen? LSU at Missouri. And if you would have told me, Stephen, that there's one team that didn't hold up their end of the bargain, and all of a sudden this, you know, this is a huge game in the SEC, but I don't think nationally it is what, what could have been. I thought for sure, not for sure, but I, I thought for there would be one undefeated team here and one probably 4-1 and one at worst team and the undefeated would be LSU, but it's not. It's Missouri Tigers, biggest home game maybe ever, at least as – no, not ever, but in SEC, because I think – remember that year they, they were 1-2 Kansas, right? I mean, that was an epic. Yeah. But beyond that, SEC, we're SEC show. We don't – we none of that history matters. But LSU at Missouri, a lot on the line. Missouri continues to get doubted. They ain't real. They ain't played anybody. They're going to get their asses handed to them. They're a touchdown underdog. This is crazy. Thoughts on this one, Stephen? I hate to you know repeat myself, but, man, I'm really looking forward to this game on Saturday because I think just the, the setup of LSU's defense coming into this game and how much it struggled against Brady Cook and Luther Burden. If, if LSU doesn't have its defensive issues figured out, they're going to be in trouble here. And I think Missouri's being undervalued based upon uh, the early spread that you mentioned. So I think it's in general that like the storylines for me are here is Missouri sitting here five and zero. you see, we'll see what happens later that night with Georgia and Kentucky, but there's a chance for this team to make another statement. They've already made a couple. I mean, they beat a good Kansas state team, um, took care of business. Like we talked about against Memphis. I think you could argue LSU by far though, is their best um, opponent that they face so far this season. And so it's another good measuring stick uh, for us just to figure out where Missouri is. And very, and I think to your point, I think if you come into this game, who, which team is getting all the hype? It's Missouri. I think we would have guessed it would have been LSU back in uh, August or September. So there's a little bit of um, role reversal here. But Missouri, just the the disrespect by Vegas. You've got LSU um, with a loss to to Ole Miss on Saturday, needing to get back on track and need, needing to find some quick answers here because it's not going to get um, any easier. So I think the storylines, I mean, this one, I hate to say it, but it's it's fascinating. How pissed off. There's no other way to say it. Well, this LSU fan base be, if they lose to Missouri and they're sitting here at three and three, and idiots like me picked them to win the West and win the national championship, I mean... God, you that I don't want to say hot seat, but uh, man, there's there's going to be some tough, tough, tough questions that need to be answered in Baton Rouge if that happens, don't you think? Oh, no question, especially since LSU still has to go to Alabama and they still have to play Texas A&M. I mean, to to be three and three if they lose on Saturday at this point, I, I don't think anybody uh, would have predicted that. I mean, after winning the SEC West to be sitting here at 500 at the midpoint of the season would be pretty shocking um, for Brian Kelly and his staff. I, I think that th you look at the numbers from last week, and, and no matter where you looked, if it was advanced analytics, um, Brian Kelly's press conference where he said they missed 34 tackles and some of the advanced analytics sites had them a little bit lower. But missed tackles are a huge problem for this team. Um, overall, the course of the season, Sports Source Analytics charted them as having about 17% missed tackle rate. That's one of the highest among uh, Power 5 teams. And just for a defense that has Makai Wingo, Harold Perkins, Mason Smith, 
can't be more disruptive or better at the line of scrimmage to allow 300 rushing yards uh, to Ole Miss after Ole Miss had struggled all year. So I, the defensive issues to me are really puzzling uh, for LSU. And that's sort of the theme here is now you get a Missouri offense that is rolling after the last couple of weeks and a red hot quarterback. So it could be a if LSU plays well, then maybe they get some of these things figured out. If they don't, these questions are only going to spiral because you still have uh, obviously some still quality offenses left to play this year. Do you have any idea off the top of your head, Stephen, how much Madhouse makes per year? <laughs> LSU fans probably think it's too much, whatever it is. <laughs> $1.9 million. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. After last year, yeah. yeah, after last year, it looked like a, it looked like a good bargain. Yeah. It's not worked out this year though. Let, let me ask you this though. Is this a game, Stephen, where you think, I think one of two things happens here where, and this may not be fair, but. This is a game I think where where LSU rallies and they and they, you know, turn it around after that disappointing Ole Miss loss and, and they you know circle the wagon so to speak, or they lose this game and they go into the tank. Uh, I mean I think it's, I think it's that important for LSU. But what's your thoughts on that? I would agree with that. I think I wondered. I think that it might be a little bit too dramatic to say this, but I wonder if we get the angry. LSU that showed up against Mississippi State in in week three and and really took it to Mississippi State. I, I don't think that happens here, but I suspect LSU should be focused and and locked in after uh, to to have really any shot at the SEC West. They really really need to 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 win this game. They're also going into a very tough environment too. I mean Missouri, the home crowd. This should be a big time moment. Uh, for the program. So I, I do. Yeah, I, I would buy that. I would buy it sort of a circle the wagons type of moment for LSU. You can also counter with, hey, Missouri, this is your chance. This is your kind of game. This is your moment game uh, to steal the big victory. So sort of the emotions and storyline are going to be a fun angle for Saturday. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because I wanted to flip it the other way, Stephen. If Missouri wins, and let's just say they win big just for funsies, who's going to be the Heisman candidate Brady Cook or Luther Bird? Who who's the more realistic? And I know people are probably laughing at this, but hell, they'll six and zero with some tough games coming up, no doubt. But I mean, we got to give we got to give Missouri some love if they if they can go halfway. I mean, their win total, Stephen, I think was like six or or something like maybe six and a half. Heck, they they'd be they'd be there with half the season to go. We got to give somebody love. Who who's the better Heisman candidate? You think? I always take the quarterback because it is such a quarterback driven award. And I think Brady Cook is he's getting into that territory where if they start to have some big wins that he would have the numbers. Now, I, I know this is a long shot, but I think the quarterback will always get the more credit. Luther Burden, though, leading the nation in receiving yards. I would argue he still might be the most underrated player in college football. <laughs> I don't think people realize outside of the SEC or outside of the state of Missouri how good Luther Burden is. Maybe I'm on my my own little uh, world on that one, but I think Luther Burden is really, really good. And which defense do you think is better in this game? Because it, it may come down to simply that. I know LSU's got more high-end talent, but Missouri plays better, and, and they play more – uh, together as a unit on that side of the ball. Would you go LSU or Missouri in this game specifically? Because I, I think both offenses are, are probably going to 
lead the way, but it, it'll come down to which defense I think can get the most stops. In my mind, I was going right to another 55-49 high score <laughs> game and, and the last team with the ball is going to win. That, that How how awesome that would be uh, for the second week in a row. I, I would go Missouri. I just think that they're, they're playing better at this point of the season. I think LSU certainly has more raw talent. Uh, overall, we mentioned the three players that that LSU has, and and the sort of puzzling when you have three of the SEC's best defenders, your production is what it is. I still think LSU secondary is just a massive question mark, and some of it is just turnover and personnel year over year. Some of it could be scheme, could be injuries, could be a lot of things. But I, I don't I don't know how you can solve some of those issues. Uh, in just a couple weeks, I think from a from who would I rather go to go to battle with? I think it's Missouri based upon the way they played this season. Yeah, just imagine it comes down to a sixty-four yard field goal. There's only one man I want kicking it, and it's Harrison Mavis, of course. Hey, if you if your nickname is the thicker kicker, and you're hitting <laughs> sixty yard field goals, man. All right, I usually wait till the end, Stephen, to ask you about Oklahoma and Texas, but they're playing this weekend, and that is such a, a massive game. I think they should both be in the top ten the way they've been playing. Uh, thoughts on this matchup that two undefeated teams cannot wait. Greg Sankey himself going to be there, so everybody get mad at me. You Look look at what our leader's doing down there. He's going to be at this game because Texas and Oklahoma, they belong in the SEC. Uh, thoughts on the, on this epic showdown here, Stephen? It's like Greg Sankey show, is like the um, the college football coach showing up to the the high school game to watch the seniors that are going to be there next year. <laughs> Maybe he should take the helicopter into the field to do the coin toss or something. I don't know. Um, but huge, huge showdown here because you look back at last year's game and it was one-sided. Texas blew out Oklahoma. Don't read anything into that. Dylan Gabriel did not play for Oklahoma Oklahoma was starting a backup quarterback. It's a completely uh, irrelevant result to, to what the series trend has been uh, recently. So I, I think it'll be a much, much more competitive game here. And I think some of the things that we've kind of talked about with Texas and Oklahoma show up again here on Saturday. Oklahoma's offensive line, rushing attack, how do they fare against the the Texas defensive front, which has been good this year? And also, you've got two quarterbacks who are playing at a very high level here. Quinn Ewers, Dylan Gabriel, um, with the way both of those guys have been playing, this could be a really uh, entertaining game here, but probably going to come down to uh, the defenses here. And Oklahoma, much improved on that side of the ball. These two teams are first and second in the SEC, in the, uh, say I've already said it, SEC, Big 12 uh, in scoring defense. So there's a lot of interesting angles to this game. Oklahoma won, five, uh, won six games last year. They've already won five this year. So Brent Venables has them clearly on the right track. And is this a, the type of game, Stephen, where, you know, trying to help our audience here that, that may not know the history, but you go 11-1, and one, but you get whooped in this game. <laughs> I'm not saying they run you out of town, but, uh, I mean, is it similar to, you know, like an Iron Bowl or, or uh, you know, I, I know Ryan Day, a lot of Ohio State fans out on him. They nearly won the national championship, but, my God, he can't beat Michigan. You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot a lot on the line for both these coaches, and, and particularly Brent Venables after after that lopsided loss. Not saying he's he has to win this to keep his job. I think that's crazy, but it, he probably needs it to get back some goodwill that he they may have lost last year. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at the recent history between these two teams. Oklahoma is four and one 
in its last five against Texas. And of course, that game, that win, the loss for, for Oklahoma was that one-sided affair last year. And two uh, of the last, only two of the last 10 were decided by more than one score. So the the recent trend in this series has been close games. Oklahoma has kind of had Texas number recently, but I think this, this kind of works for both, both teams here. I think on the Oklahoma side, you know, Brent Venables has this program going in the right direction. They, they nearly have already matched their win total from last season. Defense is better. Uh, the portal additions, the roster looks better. Recruiting's going well. Texas, you know, they're sitting there in the top five. They, they've already checked off a big win against Alabama. Everyone's kind of waiting is, is Texas back or is Texas going to stumble somewhere? And if they go lose this game and they don't play well, those doubts kind of creep back into to where kind of Texas is uh, nationally. So I, I think there is something to prove here for both teams. Um, I think if you're Brent Venables, you can win a lot of goodwill by going out on Saturday and picking off Texas based upon just how last year's game played out, the way the season played out, more preseason questions here. I think Venables, it would certainly he would certainly benefit from a win on Saturday. Yeah. Well, you know who else would, would Steve, is Sam Pittman uh, taking Arkansas to Ole Miss. And I realize, hey, Ole Miss flying high, Arkansas down on the dumps, just another beatdown, right? I ain't going that far, Stevie, because this is a really fun series that's unpredictable, wild back and forth, uh, Ole Miss hosting Arkansas. Thoughts on this one? And, um, again, I mean – I get it. F- fans are pissed because they're not winning. But you win a game like this, you you get back all the, not all, but but you get back in the good graces. I would think for most hog fans, for sure. And, and I think to to go back to our weekly conversation around storylines, here's a good one for this one. I think KJ Jefferson needs to channel his inner Dion Sanders, make it personal <laughs> against the school from Mississippi, uh, and go out there and sort of kind of carry this team into Oxford. But I think if if you're Arkansas, I think you might be catching Ole Miss at the right time. This is now two emotional back-to-back games for Ole Miss. There was the trip to Alabama, and then, of course, the game last week against LSU where they had to expend a lot of energy for four quarters, offensively, defensively. So I think if you're Arkansas, yeah, your schedule has been difficult, and, and you have also played two emotional games. You're catching um, Ole Miss at the right time. And also, like kind of like I said, I think K.J. Jefferson here, the ultimate equalizer for Arkansas. If he can have a huge game on Saturday against an Ole Miss defense that's struggling, I think Arkansas has got a chance to to go into Oxford and make this one interesting. Yeah, and we just saw Arkansas, I mean, go up and down the field on LSU. And, uh, I mean, Ole Miss defense is basically the same caliber without the elite talent. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's hope on the flip side. There's a lot of momentum to be gained from the lessons learned. They finally got Junkins going in uh, uh, last week in Oxford. And if they, you know, that's been the the missing piece to the whole thing for Ole Miss. They've, they've not been able to run the ball. They got back to that last week, made some slight adjustments, ran a lot more out of the pistol formation, and that seemed to cure a lot of ails. But, uh, I mean, how dangerous now is Ole Miss? With a running rushing attack, with so, with Priest Corn healthy, Trey Harris back in the lineup, 
Uh, I think Franklin pl- played as well. How how dangerous is Ole Miss with all these weapons back? Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think that that has been the missing piece for for Ole Miss. I mean, we go back to the game against Alabama. The offense was just too one dimensional. It was too one dimensional against Tulane. It caught up to them against Alabama. But had they had this kind of offense with that Quinshaw Judkins, we might be talking about a totally different game in Tuscaloosa. So. I think, yeah, I mean, Judkins is, he's either first or second, the best running back in the SEC in the preseason rankings, depending on who you looked with, with he and Rocket Sanders. So I think just getting him back on track and also, you know, the receiving core is now deeper. If you can get Trey Harris going like they had in the opener, like they had on Saturday, pre-scoring, getting more involved, the tight ends, Zakari Franklin could get more involved. All of a sudden, Ole Miss has got a pretty deep collection uh, of weapons offensively. And also, I think on our sort of coaching storylines. If you're Lane Kiffin, you just picked up the big win against LSU. You don't want to lose that goodwill by turning in the, a, a total clunker here against Arkansas. Right. And one final thing I've got on this matchup, Stephen, Arkansas, it's not like they got the greatest defense in the world. I'm not trying to make that case. They don't have the high-end talent like LSU. But what they do have is a defense that's been very opportunistic forcing a lot of turnovers. I believe they lead the SEC. I could, I could be mistaken, but I think they lead the SEC in turnovers forced. Uh, they had a pick six last week. I mean, they, they, they've they been doing their part. And Jackson Dart, I mean, he's playing the best football he's ever played. But the one thing you can say about him that's kind of negative, he's been known to force the issue. Turnovers are an issue, or at least they have been. Um, I mean, that's that's a recipe right there, too, I think, to keep Arkansas in this game. And this could be an opponent that they can take advantage of, I would think. Yeah, you're right about that, first of all. Um, Arkansas leads the SEC in turnovers uh, forced with 11 coming into this game. And I think Arkansas, that's the kind of breaks they're going to need on Saturday. I think just on paper, you know, Ole Miss at home, the offense is rolling. They should win this game. And and I think if you're Arkansas, you can counter we're good at taking the ball away. Maybe we can get a couple takeaways. I do think the the Arkansas defense overall is better than it was last year. I think the, the whether it's the coordinator change, the personnel, it's better uh, than it was last year. So I think there are some positives here for Arkansas. On the other side of the ball, I think there is something that we should pay attention to on Saturday, and that's the offensive line. I mean, we, we saw the seven sacks against Texas A&M. Also, 1.1 yards per carry. I know the the sacks sort of um, played into that. But now Rocket Sanders, another week. Arkansas may, may make some changes along the offensive line. You know, Does anything spark this odd line of scrimmage here um, for Arkansas? We, we saw the changes that Ole Miss made last week to spark the run game. Can Arkansas do anything to kind of have a similar effect to something I'm going to be watching? Mm-hmm. All right, how about uh, this one, Stephen? I'm dubbing it the Billy Better Win Bowl. Vanderbilt at Florida. Gators, big favorite. Of course, they lost to Vanderbilt last season. That's that's the primary reason I'm saying Billy Better Win it. Uh, th- thoughts on this? I mean, it's, there's 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 no chance Florida lays an egg here, is there? I think they win this game. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. If Florida's at home, first of all, so that's a positive. They win all the time down there. (laughs) Right. It's not it's not in Nashville this time like last year. But I I think you're very broadly like this is a must win game if you're Florida. You cannot lose to Vanderbilt for the second year in a row. 
I don't say this to disrespect Vanderbilt any, but you look at the series that Florida and Vanderbilt totally dominated um, by Florida. And then last year's disaster popped up. So just the series, the talent, where they are in, in sort of the program rebuild, you've got to have this one um, if you're Florida. And you got to have it, I think, if you want to find a path to, to six wins. So I think if you're Florida, the the kind of the theme ought to be we got to get back on track. We've got to get last week's game out of our system. We've got to get the run game going. We've got to be better at the line of scrimmage. Vanderbilt does not run the ball well, so that should bode well uh, for Florida. Need a solid performance um, by Graham Mertz, too, to build some confidence for this, the South Carolina road trip coming up, Georgia and Arkansas as well. So this, I, you know, Florida has been hard to figure out because they didn't play well against Utah. They took care of business against McNeese. They beat Tennessee. They didn't play all that well against Charlotte. They definitely didn't play well against Kentucky. Your guess is as good as mine what team shows up for Florida, but they should win this game, and it is a must-win situation. What would be the level of concern if they have another Charlotte-type uh, performance to where, hell, even if they win, but, yeah, I don't know, 10 points, 14, whatever, but they, they're sloppy and they're making mistakes and, doing, and they, they're going through the motions, so to speak. How big of a red flag will that be in your mind? Very big. I think let's look at their schedule coming up the rest of the way. You know, after Vanderbilt, they go to South Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas, at LSU, at Missouri, and Florida State. None of those are guaranteed victories in there. So if they don't play well here, you start to wonder, well, how many of those are going to be wins down the stretch? I'm not saying they're going to lose out the rest of the year, but I would be concerned if they don't play well against a Vanderbilt team that, has lost four straight, has a potentially a backup quarterback starting, and has been sort of unable to hold up at the line of scrimmage all year. And if you're Florida, that's where you want to build your team. And if you struggle, that's a huge red flag. Yeah, and, and to cap at run, Stephen, uh, South Carolina, two weeks to prepare because they're off this week, a little bit of a revenge factor. So they are not going to make it easy. And it's already been announced to sell out for the South Carolina Gamecocks and williams Bryce Stadium. So it's going to be a wild environment. So Another Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one, Stephen. Western Michigan at Mississippi State. Mississippi State, huge favorite. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I know nothing about Western Michigan. I mean, this, they, they must be awful. If Mississippi State struggles here, I would be very, very concerned. Uh, Western Michigan is in the 100s in most 133 rankings coming into this week. In fact, ESPN has them at number 126 in their ESPN SP Plus rankings. Um, Lance Taylor, uh, first-year coach, he was actually a graduate assistant in Alabama some time ago. He sort of bounced around. It's his first year. A lot of question marks with his team. They came into the year with just two returning starters on defense and it showed they're giving up over 30 points a game. So this could be a good game for Will Rogers in this offense uh, to get back on track. If you, if you want to kind of gauge this Western Michigan team, they have been blown out by Syracuse and Iowa. <laughs> Iowa put up a lot of points against Western Michigan. If, if Mississippi state doesn't get over 40 here, barring some sort of like weather disaster, I would be very, very worried. They should take care of business on Saturday. Yeah, 
I just feel I feel bad for Will Rogers because he just looks so uncomfortable, so disjointed in that offense outside of that South Carolina. I mean, he threw for a half a thousand in one game. He he may not throw for a half a thousand the rest of the season the way they're playing. Isn't it? I guess isn't it a fair criticism of Zach Arnett to sort of wonder what the balance is between the now and winning over the next five years? Because you have a very senior laden team and you have a quarterback in Will Rogers who was steeped in this air raid offense and to change everything at this point with your veteran roster am I am I being too critical I guess or is that an appropriate criticism considering where Mississippi State is this season no I think that's the million dollar question right now in Starkville you know the moves that were made why and I don't know. It's clearly is uh, not looking good. But again, I mean, they lose to Alabama every year. I don't care who the coach is. They typically lose to LSU, unless the, unless it's Mike Leach or Dan Mullen. You know, Dak Prescott, tr- yeah, <laughs> trick up his sleeve. So again, I'm I'm not hitting the panic button, but I may be hovering over it if I'm a Mississippi <laughs> State fan because. You know, I've heard from some people they thought Zach Arnett was in over his head day one. I'm not ready to quite go that far, but um, you know, because some of the hires I I liked him and he he seems to understand what he's doing in recruiting an NIL. But at the same time, I I think the thing that disturbs me the most, Stephen, is he's been there the entire time under Leach and Leach, you know, let him be kind of like a CEO of the deep head coach of the defense, so to speak. Let him you know, lead the charge on recruiting. And I'm looking around. I'm not seeing the athletes that they typically have on that side of the ball. And I don't think that was that's all Mike Leach. I think that's all Zach Arnett. So I don't know how you fix that, but it's a real, real issue. And it's it's evident in SEC play. I, I owe you an apology because last week you were talking about athletes on defense and here I am as I flip over to the to the Alabama Mississippi State game and there goes Jalen Noro for a fifty yard <laughs> touchdown and there's Mike is right. Uh so uh so I owe you an apology. You you called that one. I, I think if let's just assume Mississippi State wins on Saturday, they'd be three and three going into the open date. They were an underdog against South Carolina. They lost to LSU and they lost to Alabama. So Three and three is probably where I would have put them in the preseason. I think the problems that I see though are it's not sometimes it's not that there's a loss on the on the resume, it's how you lose. And we've talked about this all offseason. And if the SEC West is open and you have this veteran roster where you have all these juniors and seniors who have been steeped in your system, if you're getting blown out now by LSU and Alabama. If it doesn't happen this year and it's not getting any easier with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league and you're turning over all this roster next season, you know, how how much better can it get, I guess, in 2024 and 2025? And, you know, Zach Arnett's as the head coach has to plan for the next five years. He can't win for just one. But I would question the the decision to go away from that style of offense, considering the quarterback that you had in the upperclassmen personnel um, on that side too. Yeah, and they're, how they're utilizing Mike Wright is kind of baffling at times as well, I would add that. but Is it just kind of random when he comes in to me? Just, <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, but it's 
I don't think they've asked him to throw the ball like more than five times. I mean, it's it's like comical. It's a, they're just they're letting the defense know why he's coming in, and it, and he's still effective. I mean, he's a hell of an athlete, but maybe mix it up so that they <laughs> so it's not so obvious. But what one thing you said there, Stephen? Not I don't disagree with anything you said, but potentially, you know, getting away from these divisions, you you swap out Alabama and LSU, and you get. Vanderbilt and uh, South Carolina. Well, the hell, they just lost South Carolina. But you know, you're not playing in what is perceived, you know, the the, the toughest of the tough. Although it's it's still going to be tough as hell. I'm not. Who am I kidding? But it it'll be more balanced at the very least moving forward in the SEC. So if I'm a Mississippi State fan, that is at least some kind of silver lining that I'm seeing right now. Yeah, for sure. I I think that is if I'm any team. In the West, like let's say Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Arkansas, I think the path to getting to the conference championship game gets a little bit more open. If you're just taking the two best teams, it's not you're not kind of pigeonholed into the East and West. You can, if the schedule breaks right with a veteran roster, one of these teams could find their way into the conference championship game. So it is going to get harder, but in some respects, I think the path to the conference championship game gets a little easier albeit, like you said, the schedules for, for all these teams in 2024 are just insanely difficult. Yep. All right, Steven, so I really appreciate you stopping by. Uh, any closing thoughts before you uh, head on out? I'm really looking forward uh, to this weekend's games. I, I know I'm like a college football nerd, so I'll probably you'll probably ask me about, you know, <laughs> the Mac games on Tuesday night, and I'll tell you I'm excited about them. Uh, but I, I think we, we, we're starting to I, – I love this point of the season because – we're starting to get deeper into conference play and we're sort of filtering out any kind of preseason things, any kind of buzz noise from the first four weeks of the season. We're really starting to get into the heart of conference play. So I think now we're really honing in on who these teams are. And and that's what, that's what interests me with LSU playing Missouri, Texas A&M playing Alabama, Georgia and Kentucky. We have three massive showdowns this weekend that's going to tell us a lot about the divisions, conference race, potentially the national title picture uh, as well. So uh, I will be very interested to to talk to you next week about all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before you go, Stephen, last thing, can you tell my audience, where can they follow you? Where can they find your outstanding work? So you can follow me on Twitter at Aflon Steven. You can also check out my YouTube page, all CFB365. I'm on threads, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok, Stephen L, CFB, and I co-host the Cover 2 podcast by Aflon Sports. It goes up every Wednesday morning. We preview uh, all around the country, talk about all the big topics. So kind of give you a little bit of insight if you're looking to, to some things outside the SEC. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Stephen, and uh, look forward to our conversation next week. Be well, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Always appreciate his time. Always learn something new from Stephen. Provides a unique insight that, uh, quite frankly, Shane and I just don't simply have. So uh, always a treat to have Stephen on the show. But that's going to do it for this episode. Cousin Shane set to be back on the next one breaking down all these weekend games here in the SEC. Separation 2 Saturday. I don't know what we're calling it just yet, but uh, we'll come up with a name, I promise, by the next episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate your time. We'll catch you 
on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.